Need some motivation on your Chinese business endeavor? May be curious about what the Chinese business environment is all about, or want to laugh out loud listening to war stories on the ground in China? Then this is your show, China Business Cast, episode number eighty-four of China Business Cast. Shlomo, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm good. Hot summer here in Israel,、uh, but enjoying my time very much with the family. And sometimes in the air conditioning, but、uh, mainly a lot of leisure time. So that's great. Things are well. What about you? You're all over the planet. Yeah, it's been pretty intense. I, <laughs> it's been really intense、uh, for country in a month、uh, trip. I'm at my last leg of the four places, and、uh, this is in I'm in Kathmandu, Nepal right now, in a nice hotel overlooking a temple, doing our amazing intro. It's, I gotta、uh, say something at this. So yesterday we we're supposed to record an intro, and Mike is like,、uh, "We just arrived here. I'm like totally <laughs> jet lagged, and I can't really record the intro." So、uh, at the last few times that we spoke,、um, you've been traveling all over. So I heard this a few times. So、uh, I'm looking forward to having you back in Shenzhen、yeah. on regular schedule. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll be back. Well, it'll be in Thailand, though. But I'll be back on regular schedule soon. Yeah. Okay. Though Kathmandu is better time zone with Israel. It is true. We are easier to coordinate here. Well,、uh, we got a、yeah. cool story. I mean, this podcast has been connecting people, right? More than just us. I mean, there's some other listeners.、Yeah. What was what's the story there? So we had this on our China Business Cast、uh, WeChat group, and、um, we're gonna give the link. Later on the intro, so you can also connect with us.、Um, and this one is from Cheng Hom, and he works in Yunnan. And he tells us this. I'm just reading it from the group. Hey guys, thought there's something interesting and would like to share. Last week, I was on vacation, going to my last night in Sanya in a random, random bar. After a random chat with the German guy, I suddenly found we we're both in this group. Awesome. I mean, how many times could this happen to you in your life? Really. Nice to meet Metro Tokyo, which you, you've mentioned. You also met, yeah,、right? yeah, yeah, a couple of years ago, and down in the south in Shenzhen, he's passing through,、uh, going back, yeah, from Hong Kong to Beijing. So, so yeah, it's great. So he's great. saying, he's saying,、uh, really nice to meet Metro Tokyo.、Uh, hold on, my phone. Yeah,、um, who recently set his work workstation in Sanya? That's a really cool place. We are taking. We were talking till 3 a.m. that night, having years' experience in foreign affairs, and who's now and who's now engaging music business in China. He has a good knowledge of China and a profound view of how business works here. Have learned a lot from him. So, yeah, that's our nice. It's not an official review, but it's the best thing to discover that、uh, our listeners connect and learn from each other. It's a big shout out to、uh, Metro Tokyo and to Tsenghom、uh, yeah. for making this happen. So thank you guys. Yeah, thank、I、you think, for telling us. I think they're also super supportive. They're giving us, giving us reviews, if I remember right. And、uh, re- this is also、yes. another way to help out. And thanks, guys. And also, yeah, WeChat group. And also a shout out to his fellow podcasters at Tech Buzz China by Pan Daily. They're our friends, co-hosts Yingying Lu and Ray Ma. Uh, basically, they're both also experts in the Silicon Valley and China tech scene, and they're giving their in-depth views about the China tech innovation buzz. So definitely check out their podcast at Tech Buzz China. Yeah, you can look it up, or you can go to pandaily.com/podcast. 
this is the podcast name of Pan Daily. Definitely, and also so check them out. And Ray, Ray's been on this podcast herself. Uh, she's uh, been hosting, guest hosting, and others. At episode fifteen was a really early one on the venture capital environment in China. So, so thanks for that, Ray, and uh, keep on keep on creating and sharing. It's amazing. Yeah, they have lots of experience. Um, and to our announcements, and now as I as I mentioned, we have a WeChat group, and you're most most welcome to connect with us there. Um, and in order to join the WeChat group, you need to go to chinabusinesscast.com slash WeChat, uh, and you'll see everything you need to do in order to get in touch with us and be added to the WeChat group. And perhaps through that, you'll meet meet more fellow listeners. Definitely. So we'll have more wonderful stories about that. Yeah, check, check out the site. Um, Definitely lots of different ways to get involved, and we'd love to get more people in the community. And our guest today is also a podcaster, so <laughs> yeah. go ahead, Mike. Yeah, you we made got. The, you made the interview. <laughs> yeah, this one I did the interview is with Rico. He's uh, he's a he's, host of the Made in China podcast, more about manufacturing in China, and on the hardware side. And uh, yeah, we like just of course talking about podcasts. We've talked a lot about creators, artists, you know, um, people sharing in the in the world. So we really love to know other podcasters and content creators really i think shulman and i really love it but back to this this show is rico so in addition to being a podcaster he also does uh manufacturing and sourcing for for clients around the world and he's on today talking about different ways that uh people can source from from china and also a little bit on making their own not totally unique product but a, a little bit of an enhanced brand product so you can do your amazon or your other private label businesses so it's a it's an interesting show Thanks. i hope you guys enjoy okay let's tune in okay thank you everybody tuning in today we have a show with my old friend rico how are you doing, Rigo? I'm good. Yeah, man. It's great to have you. And uh, we've known each other quite some years through the... I guess we connected in a podcast world or in the... Well, I think in the entertainment community and other in networking. We're both uh, active connectors or, or, or uh, hustlers, maybe is the word. And you're based in Guangzhou and I'm here in Shenzhen doing this today. And yeah, it's the, the usual, uh, you know, grinding on a, a Saturday. Yeah, we always get surprised that I'm like, yeah, it's part of it's part of China, you know, China life. Um, yeah, we met. So the, I guess the background of our story starts with me in Toronto looking for business podcasts to do with uh, China, and then I came across a China business guest. The, at the time when JP was the host, and then um, I came across your podcast. So, and those are the only two podcasts I could find to do with anything specifically about business in China. So I was like listening to you, your podcast before I came. And then I joined Enter China. I didn't know that you were part of the community. And then uh, we we met when we became partners uh, on with EC. Yep, yep. Nice. So you've going through quite a lot uh we had a sh you were interviewed on the global media show a while back we'll, we'll link that up for people that want to hear about your journey today we're going more technical i'd say on custom product custom manufacturing so you've been at least a couple of years or more now or even more right doing sourcing as a service and manufacturing as a service for uh, entrepreneurs 
Yeah, I think we officially, I think we got off my first payment from a client was like May 2015. So we, we just did three years. Congrats. That's a big milestone. I know a lot of people try to do it when they come out here. It's, there's the, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of work to it. A lot of people think it's, you know, there's even those books I've read when I was in the States, like start your own import export company, you know, like get a contract and, uh, and like, uh, so it's definitely a lot harder than they, uh, make it sound in those import export books for sure. Yeah. I think I, I, I can't imagine if I was doing it by myself from the beginning, but I have a partner who's, who was, basically running a sourcing company for five years before I met him. So he'd already gone through all the ups and downs and, and sort of the mistakes that uh, people make and, you know, having the, you know, situations where you ship a product and it arrives and it's like 90% of them are damaged in the container, like <laughs> things, like, things like that. He'd, he'd been through those, those problems. So um, I was able to kind of skip a lot of those, a lot of those uh, mistakes that people make. And I think it just takes, I think you have to have a certain type of personality because it does take a lot of patience. Um, it does take a lot of work. And then the good thing is, I guess my, my generation or our generation is like, I approach everything from uh, sort of like Tim Ferriss, how do you break this down and then systemize it? So at this stage, having been running the company for three years, I mean, a lot of the stuff that we do, we've got SOPs around, um, you know, like even when we hire staff now, like I'm not the person hiring the staff, my project manager hires the staff. So it's like even projects themselves, I'm pretty much not hands off completely, but I'm very... I'm not as hands-on as I used to be. I'm not like dealing with the stuff on a daily basis. Like it's actually pretty cool because I, I remember uh, last weekend, uh, my project manager called me on a Saturday and uh, no, I think it was Sunday. It was Sunday morning. She called me and she's like, oh, you know, the, the factory doesn't want to sign the contract and she was freaking out. <laughs> and I said to her, I was like, imagine like, you know, how many times have we been through these situations? You just have to, you know exactly what to do. And she was like, Okay, so she hung up and then, you know, maybe like two hours later, she said, I'm negotiating with the factory now. And then like three hours later, she's like, I got them to sign the contract. So it's like, I'm not even like, usually that would have been me. That would have been me having to, you know, dig in deep and find out what's going on. What are the fact, what's the factory afraid of? Like, what do we have to change about the contract? But in this situation, she handled everything. So, uh you know, this just, I, I like seeing that progression from all the work over the years. I think you'll be a good parent. I, I joke a lot on the show because, you know, I have kids now, but it, I hope it don't just sound disrespectful to empl employees or staff, but I think it's true for a man. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like management uh, on both sides, you know, the, there's trust and then there's um, communication and having clear directions is critical, which we've talked about a lot and uh, in projects we've worked yeah. on. Yeah. So. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because last year I got my first intern um, from from he's Italian, but he's he's like uh, he lives in the UK, and he came to China and and uh, it was interesting working with a Western guy because it was just like he didn't need as much direction, <laughs> yeah. but. but but I gave him, you know, I, I treated him like the way I treat other people. I, I pulled back a little bit, but like, I remember talking to him and he was saying how it was different working for me because I was just so specific 
in the instructions that I gave him. So he's like, on one hand, it made his job very easy. But on the other hand, because he's like a creative type, he was like, it kind of restricts you a little bit. So I was like, yeah, I guess I have to adjust if I work with Western people. But then at the same time, uh, it works out really well because I, I've hired uh, like for my podcast, uh, this uh, the Made in China podcast, and uh, for my YouTube channel, the Source Chinese YouTube channel, I, I have a video editor and a podcast editor and like, you know, they're both from the Philippines and I have like these SOPs written out for them. I have a video SOP on how to post my podcast episodes and all that stuff. And it's just like very, very specific. So, uh, I mean, like from the first episode that they did, there was very little things that I had to change. Like it was like they knew exactly, it was like, it was like pretty much like myself doing it, you know? So, um, it's weird. Like I guess at the end of the day, it's a, it's, a, it's a positive thing if you're very specific. I think with with your instructions, <laughs> but I can see how it would be annoying if you're a creative type. It it's uh, I feel like we're getting a little bit off topic, but I think it's helpful for people. But yeah, I mean, actually, it even replies to manufacturing and factories. I think maybe we can even connect it that way. But it's true. I mean, whether you work with staff or uh, mm-hmm. children or factories or suppliers. I have actually, I, my last tip about this or my last feedback about this on my side is I write a lot in the morning. I think, you know, my writing morning writing routine, I still do it, but I've actually reallocated it to writing SOPs or writing directions. I've gone to a point now where it's, it's beyond SOPs. It's basically like letters to staff that's like connect. It's basically like uh, writing out like what I want them to do this week. And uh, I just write out uh, my brain, like, and then I just start then throughout the morning I drop I don't it's weird like I, I still write SOPs but uh, as those are finished now I'm just writing like directions and guidance for the employees to do their tasks so it's just like another mm-hmm. level <laughs> anyway let's uh, let's let's go on to what we're talking about uh, I do think those things are relevant especially dealing with an in Asia and China is being clear with your communication. So today we're talking about not manufacturing, but I don't think just manufacturing. I think it's custom product manufacturing. Uh, as I think you talked to a lot of Amazon sellers and I'm doing Amazon again. There's also um, Indiegogo's and Kickstarter entrepreneurs. And even though we're in 2018, this still seems like people underestimate the complexity and the time and the cost. So I think today, hopefully, we're going to give them some valuable insights. What do you think, Rico? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I, you know, I talk about it all the time, but people definitely underestimate the the time it takes. Even even if you're selling on Amazon, even if you're not doing an original design, like an ODM, ODM which is what we're going to focus on, original design manufacturer. It, it's like people still think just because they're selling on Amazon, that it's going to be a simple process to communicate with factories and tell them what they want. And But um, I mean, I, I think there's a million podcasts on that. Uh, I would We're focusing on original design, so I wanted to kind of walk through the process and see if I can give people some pointers and make uh, people have more realistic expectations. It's true. So um, yeah, I, I'm doing a little bit of ODM also with a live on the Glow for Major show, the uh, coffee accessories. So it, it's a mocha pot. It, it took way longer than expected even. Yeah, I mean, it's reminding me about the, this. So it's uh, I'm really happy you're here to share. And I guess going back to time frame, what do you normally tell a client or, or an entrepreneur or somebody wanting to, to do an ODM product from China? 
I guess if at, if you're extremely lucky, uh, when I say lucky, I mean uh, the product is relatively simple. And there's examples of products that um, that exist that are similar to it, um, and then you have your design ready and and everything is like you, you're ready. at a stage where you have your CAD file and your design files ready, your bill of materials ready, um, packaging design ready, all that stuff. Then I'd say six months, um, but realistically, it's going to take a year. And if you factor in the the design aspect, the all the stuff that you do before you actually even talk to suppliers and start making samples and stuff like that, then really it's like a year to a year and a half of development. Got it. And uh, how much money should somebody have with this? Uh, I know, of course, on MOQ, or maybe just it should set anti ideas of uh, even a slight modification. Like you said, Amazon sellers just, just want to change. Just I hate that word. Just right. You probably are. The word yeah, just yeah. is very dangerous, but uh, maybe we can talk about different levels of just and uh, cost. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, obviously people always say, yeah, I just want to make a few changes. But, um, you know, if you change one thing on the product that you think is relatively simple, uh, that might make that might mean making a new mold. And I think that's the that's really the largest expense when it comes to original design um, is just the, the mold making process. And I mean, it can be as low as recently a client of ours was making made a mold for a google pixel case uh but it was like the the, he just had to make a the factory just had to make a slight slight modification so they only charged him a hundred a hundred dollars for the mold but that's very very unusual uh i would say minimum you're looking at like a thousand dollars for for a mold um all the way up to you know, $20,000, uh, depending on, you know, how many molds are involved and what the product is. And, and maybe we should, stuff. I think you and I are pretty familiar with the word mold, but there might be listeners still not even sure what that means. Uh, it's not, it's, it's like a, I guess it's like a jello mold. I mean, I think that's what I, the first time I heard mold is, you know, you make jello. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of, a yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, essentially, it's just uh, it's the shape of the it's the pro- it's the shape of the product. So, the the, the easiest example I could give is um, if you take uh, if you take like let's say a Coca Cola bottle, and then you take like a, a normal bottle of of water, just your standard bottle of water. The shape is different, right? They they might be made from the same material, same plastic, but the shape is completely different. And in order to, when you're making something. Uh, in order to get that form exactly the same every single time, you have to have a mold of that bottle. So usually a, a mold for like a plastic product, like like a bottle, like I said, would be like a, it's a stainless steel case that has the shape of the bottle in uh, cut into it and they inject hot plastic into it. And that takes the form of the bottle. So if you come up with a new design for a bottle, they have to make another one of those stainless steel cases that has the shape of your design. And that's very expensive because these molds last a very long time. They're very heavy. They take a long time to make, depending on the quality as well. The materials are not cheap. Um, so it, that's that's why it's, it's super expensive. And I mean, of course, you know, for plastic, it's different. For metal, it's different. Um, depending on what material your actual product is, it's gonna. This is gonna have a different. There's even molds for fabric design. Like if you are print, this is something called a print mold. Um, if you're printing something on on a 
on a bag, like if you're printing a logo on a bag or uh, a specific design on a bag, there, there's a print mold for that. So, and print molds are cheaper, but you typically when you're printing a logo or a design, it's multiple colors and they charge you per color, per mold, per color. So it can add up. Got it. Got it. And so there's the mold. And then, yeah, like that whole dirty word called just. So yeah, anytime people say it, I like this product I see on Amazon or Alibaba or whatever, and I just want to change this. So that's uh, usually that word just is pretty dangerous. Um, Let's say how, you know, I think we're both based here. I think maybe we came here similar reasons, or at least I came here because I was tired. I was like frustrating. I guess it wasn't service providers like, like you or others as when I was doing it, but, uh, do people need to come here or should they at least come here for a trip or a fair or, you know, or, or, or what? Yeah, I think I highly recommend coming here at least for a, a short period of time. Um, you know, I know that, well, if you, if you're if specifically the subject that we're talking about with original design, I think it's extremely important that you touch base with your supplier at some stage. Um, and I realistically, if you're making an original design, I think that you can afford to come to China for a week. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, if, if, if you don't want to be here for an extended period of time, I'll say like, go through the process the design making process and then when you start talking to suppliers if you've narrowed down you know a few options and they're in a sim if they're in a like a similar area they're not far away from each other then i would say that's a good time for you to come down but the perfect the ideal situation is that you're here living in china for an extended period of time while you're going through this process at least when you start talking to suppliers for sure okay Thanks for that insight, Rico. For the process, I think, at least for me, I think the frustrating part when I was trying to do this, you know, as a first timer back way back in the day, is I just had no idea of the steps. And uh, I think an educated customer is their best customer, whether you're, you know, an entrepreneur trying to buy from a factory or sourcing company. But I think the more that people understand the complexities in the process, do you want to kind of give some of the major milestones or steps that people need to go through? Yeah, so I think uh, I think the the first step starts before you even come to China. Obviously, there's there's things that um, you know there's obviously validating your your product things like that. But the the design process is the one that I think most people get tripped up on. Um, a lot of times, people approach me. Uh, at least in the past, people would approach me and they just had like an idea. Um, and then they would ask me like, what, what, what do I do next? You know? So, and then I'd have to like send them away and, and have them create their design. But actually that's a part of the reason why I'm on the podcast right now is that we were, we're in the beta launch of our design for manufacturing phase. So what does design for manufacturing mean? Um, it's one thing to approach a product, an industrial designer or a product designer and ask them to make this custom bottle for you. Um, they could make a beautiful design for you and you they'll make a 3d model a 3d cad um you know your your bill of materials and all that stuff and then you take it to factories and factories say like this is just completely unrealistic we're not going to we're not going to be able to make this at all uh, so that's the difference is like when you go and you get you can get a designer to design something for you that's a very straightforward process if you communicate what you want but there's a difference between getting a design made and there's a difference between design for manufacturing. So design for manufacturing is taking into account 
how factories make products, what is realistic in terms of shape, in terms of design, in terms of uh, overall design, what is realistic in terms of budget as well. Um, Because, yeah, some some things can be made by factories, but uh, it might just end up being too expensive. I'll I'll give you an example. Like if you have a stainless steel product, uh, there might be parts of the product that can be made from injection, uh, metal injection molding. But then if you have very, very small, precise parts of that stainless steel product, uh, that might need to be CNC'd. CNC'd is like, is like a precise cutting with, with a machine. And CNC is very, very expensive. So you have to take that into account when you're, you're making your design is, you know, how precise are the certain parts of it? Like, um, you know, how is this going to be made? how realistic uh, is your actual design and can this be made by a Chinese manufacturer? So I would say that's the first step. So like getting, having your concept, whether you write it down on a piece of paper, then you send it to a designer to flesh it out into a 2D, then 3D um, model as the first step. And like I said, that could take six months to do. I can be shorter. I think if you've done it before, you probably have that systemized. And then the, the, the next step after that would be creating uh, your your samples. So with samples, I usually recommend that people make their samples in their in in the in the West. Like if you're from Canada or the U.S., it's better to do it there just because you have it's you're, it's easier for you to communicate with whoever is making your samples. Um, and the cost isn't going to be that much different making a 3D printed sample, something in the states or a handmade sample. Uh, in the states versus making it in China. So after you have your your sample, your prototype, you're then approaching suppliers and saying, "Here's my design," and you're sending them your CAD files, your 3D designs, your bill of materials, uh, also called a bomb. Bill of materials is essentially what are the materials involved, or what are the suggested materials involved in making this product, and then you're communicating with the the suppliers from that stage, and then the suppliers start to give you feedback and say, hey, you need to change this, you need to change this. We suggest this material for this part because it's going to make it stronger. Um, you know, here are the various options. For, here are the various material options for this, depending on price, and then you go back and forth with the suppliers until you agree. Uh, you probably have to make another iteration of your design. And then once you have your final design that both you and your supplier agree on, um, now you're making a, a handmade sample or a 3D printed sample with your supplier to confirm, um, or CNC sample as well, to confirm that it's as close as possible to what you want the final product to be. And then at that stage, you're agreeing on on the terms of your mold making and then mass production um so with the mold making process uh, i mean i could go really deep into all the various steps involved but it's, it's essentially essentially it's 45 days uh and you 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 they're going to be making your mold there's not that much going on they'll give you updates they'll give you uh you know samples of the mold for you to confirm and once the mold is completed they'll give you a final a uh, final mold sample, a final production sample. This should be the sort of like the golden standard for what the production is going to be like. Then you go into mass production. It did mass production. Um, uh, my recommendation for mass production, like again, it varies on on your product, but my recommendation is to split the production and do a sample run initially. So the sample run would be to test out their the 
how good the manufacturer is at mass production. So again, depending on your product, I, it could be 50 samples, could be 100 samples. I'd do a sample run first, test those. If you're happy with those, go into mass production, full mass production. Interesting. Okay. And thanks for, yeah, I mean, of course, on any podcast or any, anything, it's hard to get into the deep dive, but I mean, you've been sharing our amazing information already. We really appreciate it. And where do you think, you know, you've worked with a lot of, you, you know, you've come from the other side from Canada and you, you know, you've been working with a lot of clients. What are some of the biggest stumbling points that you've noticed? I think the biggest issues are is communication. Um, I mean, I just got an email before we got on this podcast and uh, one person who's been, she listens to my podcast and she's uh, watching my YouTube channels. Um, her name is Alyssa. And she, she just messaged me and said that um, she sent an email to a supplier and asked for a certain color of her product. And uh, the supplier replied and said, hey, you know, we have that color but we also have five other colors and then she said can you send me uh, you know pictures of of the color that i want so i know what it looks like because she's trying to confirm that it's as close to the pantone color code that, as she wants and then the supplier replied with pictures of all the colors except the one that she wanted so <laughs> so she was like is this normal like she's you know she was uh she's like what's going on here like you know and um it's just communication uh communication is is Obviously, there's the disconnect between just the language barrier with Cantonese Mandarin versus English or whatever other language you might speak. And then there's also the cultural barrier. So I think people struggle with that and not just cultural from a East-West perspective, but also like a business, uh, like a manufacturing culture. Like there's just certain ways that manufacturers communicate. You know, if you're not speaking their language, it can be very, very frustrating, I think, for a lot of people. And then a lot of issues that come up during production have to do with also communication and setting expectations. Yeah, it's true. I mean, like we said earlier on this show, whether it's to your, well, I don't want to say staff, your team, or your customer, or your supplier, the, uh, what's that called? The, um, assume makes a ass out of you and me all right so <laughs> i think for you and i we are a little bit overboard almost like you said you had the uh, italian intern last summer that was probably shocked i've also had this shock i have an intern right now he's chinese but he's studying in new york at pace universities and he's been kind of shocked at all my processes so detailed and uh <laughs> but I don't know. I'd, ra- I'd rather have very over clear specifications. Like I said, I, I spend my mornings writing not even specifications anymore, just, just like letters to people, whether it's a customer, an employee, you know, a supplier or, you know, business company I'm dealing with. I just write these clear letters to people now. Like that's just, it's just uh, way worth it long term because, uh, the back and forth is really painful, especially when you're dealing with uh, multiple cultures and languages. And the worst is the time zone. So it's like a whole day. You send them an email at your time in Canada or wherever, and then it's their day in China, then their reply. And then it's so that's what really makes it the most frustrating is that delay of. Uh, yeah. And then going back to uh, the uh, one of the other pain points is, um, know, and it's still connected to communication, like you're saying, but uh, it, it's setting expectations. So a lot of times your expectations uh, as a Western buyer 
having dealt with Western companies, you always expect Western companies to go above and beyond for you and make sure that, you know, the service is on is service is good, the product is good, and if the product isn't good, they'll replace it. That's not always the same in China. You know, like especially if you're dealing with a factory directly, a lot of times factories they're just focused on making product. They're not focused on customer service. Um, a lot of times it's it's ironic because uh, people people worry about working with uh, Chinese trading companies. But one of the benefits of working with a Chinese trading company is a lot of times they are they are very focused on customer service. So it might be easier sometimes to work with a with a Chinese trading company. But setting expectations in terms of what quality you're expecting from the mass production. Uh, what quality your your customers are expecting, and then uh, what quality the factory is capable of making, and how much like there's certain things that you have to anticipate before the production is done. Like ask the factory how much, what percentage of waste there is typically when you make a product like this, and you'll know if they say okay, uh, typically there's ten ten percent waste, meaning you can expect that 10% of the products need to be actually thrown out because they're just, they're not usable. Uh, then you can, you can actually order more products to offset, you know, offset those, those percentages. So just, you know, setting the expectations, making sure that the factory understands what you're trying to achieve, what your quality expectations are, what your budget is, what your timeline is, and then getting on the same page and obviously having that written down into a sales agreement, and, and and going through those points point by point with the factory can save you a lot of headache down the line. Definitely, definitely. I mean, it's all about in, investing upfront. It's usually, you know, it takes a little bit more discipline, but it's usually cheaper in the long run, right? Anything late on later, the later you fix or do something, the more costly it's going to be. So, yeah. Yeah. Nice, nice stuff. This is great. And uh, yeah, I mean, just some little bit of talks about some of the stuff that you're working on. We've done, we did a small test uh, Canton Fair trip uh, this past uh, spring, which was fun. And and uh, we're working on some of those. And what are, what are, you know, like, what are some things you're doing with your business? Maybe talk a little bit about your company and, and other initiatives. Yeah, so like I said, we've been running for three years. Uh, we, I mean, the team has expanded since that time. Um, if you want to check out our website, Source Fine Asia. Um, but in terms of other things, other new initiatives, I mentioned earlier the design for manufacturing service. Um, I think that when this episode comes out, I'll have a link to to directly so people can can apply for more information but we're in the beta stage we have a designer industrial designer she's she's colombian but she's familiar with chinese manufacturing and uh and south american manufacturing and you know she's fantastic uh the reason why we hired somebody who's who's based in colombia is so that you could work on the same time zones and uh yeah it's just it's easier for her because she's going to work direct she's going to be communicating directly with the clients right so um yeah so we have our service there we have it broken down into the full you know taking your rough idea that you wrote you know drunk on a napkin or whatever <laughs> and then and then and then taking that all the way down to cad and and you know 3d modeling um, or we have it like split up into, cause I, I know there's going to be people that already have, let's say like a 2d design 
or people that have a 3D design, but they want to, you know, finish it off. We have, you know, some a la carte services around that. So um, still in the beta phase, the reason what I mean by that is just we're, we're testing it out. I'm taking on clients. So the people that come in right now are actually going to get a discount from, from our, for, from the service. And I'm going to be working very, very closely with the, the people that come in at our beta launch so I can learn and, and adjust from there. Uh, the podcast, I mean, the podcast has been running for three years, man. It's crazy. Uh, I think we're in episode like 59 right now, something like that. Um, that's been, that's a lot of fun. It's always just cool to connect with people and it's, you know, it's just fun to interview people. Right. Uh, and then the YouTube channel, the YouTube channel is probably my, one of my main focuses on focuses right now. Uh, I would say the difference between our podcast and the YouTube channel is the podcast is more like we do deep dives and I talk about lots of different subjects. So the podcast, we do crowdfunding, we do lifestyle, we do business in China. I mean, I have like episodes of uh, dating episodes, traveling episodes, like there's a lot of different, different subjects that we tackle on the podcast. And now, of course, the podcast is longer per episode, you know, like an hour, 45 minutes, an hour and a half. But the YouTube channel is more succinct manufacturing specific content. So it's, you know, how to communicate with suppliers. Like me, I did, I had like the long, one of the longer videos we have is me traveling to Nantong for five days and literally like living in a factory for five days. Uh, I, you know, then I have like the recent ones, how to tell the difference between a trading company and uh, a factory like and just breakdowns on that and the, the typical videos are between five to ten minutes long so that's kind of the difference uh, of the, the between the youtube channel and the the podcast and the thing is like obviously the youtube channel there's a visual component so i'm, I'm showing you what i'm talking about i'm not just talking about it so i, I think it's been a lot of fun like um we're very early we've only got like 141 subscribers but the engagement is very high i've noticed that it's a little bit different from podcasts like we have 8000 sub- subscribers to the podcast but the compared in terms of engagement the youtube channel is just way more way more engagement yeah it's I feel similar with podcast people or they tell me some people listen to the shows as they're walking around their dog in the morning or driving their yeah. car and stuff. So, yeah, you know, I'm the same way. Like I listen to a lot of podcasts and I've never reached out to, I think I've only reached out to one, <laughs> one podcast before in the past. Uh, and I mean, I maybe I've given a review here and there, but I'm usually at the gym. I'm usually doing my morning routine when when you know when i turn on a podcast so i completely understand it um whereas with youtube like i can literally scroll down and just write a comment while i'm watching the video so it's it's different okay well thanks so much Rico. it's been a great uh sharing today and this is talking about length of shows i think one of our longer shows lately but i appreciate it and uh, i think listeners will too um so you shared your link source find asia.com is probably the best one and you got your youtube and podcast which is awesome you're a content creator like like us here so we always support each other and uh that's uh that's a wrap thanks so much Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, it's awesome to reconnect. Like I, like I said, it's. I wish I could uh, go and talk to myself in in two thousand and two thousand and thirteen and be like, "Hey, man, you're gonna be talking to Michael McElhinney on his podcast." <laughs> <laughs> awesome, thanks, buddy. Well, you're doing great. Keep it up. All right, cheers, man. I got the world in my hands.
girl. 